0: State of the Industry Podcast. And here we go. This episode is brought to you by KP Movement Education, your source for health and movement education and coaching. Whether you are a health or fitness professional, a fitness consumer, or perhaps a passive bystander, KP believes that everyone deserves the right to pain-free movement. That's why their memberships and services are designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to create a culture of movement for yourself and those around you. With two membership options, you'll find education surrounding developing at-home training programs for yourself or for others, mental health and exercise, lifestyle medicine, and much, much more. Check it out at kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. That's kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. Welcome back to the State of the Industry podcast. I am your host, Adam Youngsma. In this week's episode, we bring you part two of my conversation with Gigi Pollock. Gigi is a health, exercise, and human performance professional coach and author. I know her best from her role as the health and human performance science advisor for the Institute of Motion. Currently, Gigi is in the middle of her PhD research, which is looking at the unique effects of male and female physiology and how to optimize training For each of these groups. So our conversation, which continues from part one, dives deep into this, and it's not only really informative, but also enlightening, and it's a real shift away from what we currently do in this industry. So without any further ado, let's dive right in. Welcome back, Gigi. Uh, Part number two, Uh, I really enjoyed our first part, where we were talking all about uh, really adjusting training specifically, like we talked a bit about men, but specifically for women based off of their physiology and and how their body responds differently at different phases through the menstrual cycle. So for any of the listeners who haven't listened to part one, uh, I'd suggest you go back and listen to it because it lays the foundation for everything else we're going to talk about, but I want to do just a very, very quick uh, kind of refresher about some of the things that we talked about specifically surrounding how training changes within those, you know, four slash five uh, different phases within that that uh, menstrual cycle. So we start out with the early follicular phase. This is typically day one to day seven, that first week, and this is um, the the time when the the woman begins to bleed. So we have the bleeding going on. This is the lowest level of hormones uh, with regards to estrogen and progesterone. And so during this time, we want to see kind of a lower intensity type training uh, week. Uh, doesn't mean that they don't train. They may do more body weight. They may do more uh, endurance strength type training, but we want to try to minimize the amount of damage to tissues within that, that time. So really making sure that we're, we're focusing in on that and understanding that in when we're talking lower intensity... We're not talking not doing anything we're not talking about only foam rolling and stretching within these times we're talking about there's still training but it's just a different type of training within that that time frame and then from that early follicular phase we then move into the late follicular phase where we see a an increase in estrogen that increases far faster than something like progesterone does and so the ratio is much higher and this is where uh, we're looking from basically day 8 to 15 so we're looking at that second week and this is the phase where we see that the individual is starting to be able to recover much better. So we can progressively begin to overload them, progressing towards a higher intensity um, type training program and, and really peaking in that ovulation phase, which is we, day 13 to 16 or so. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this kind of overlaps that lake follicular phase and the early luteal phase. And this Mm -hmm. is really when we can peak strength because their body has the best ability to recover. And uh, really, as you were saying, like a woman just really feels ready to go in those times. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. like sometimes they feel a little weak, sometimes they feel much stronger. And this is typically the time when they feel their strongest is in that phase. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: from there, we then move into the early luteal phase which we mm-hmm. start to see an increase in progesterone, estrogens uh, sitting about the same. And so we can still be going relatively hard in this, but we're starting to kind of see that that peak has now come to pass and we're starting to slowly bring down the intensity until we get into that late luteal phase, which is then kind of one of those, again, that recovery. So book ending that, that cycle with two phases of um, more endurance-based strength exercises and um, more maybe more body weight. Not saying that you can't do things that are difficult, you can't put your body under stress, but we're just doing it differently. And this is all, because as you were saying a little bit offline, is This is all to encourage the health of the tissues in the long term, not just looking, Mm -hmm. you know, because we talked a bit about periodization off air and how Mm -hmm. there's, you know, block, there's undulating, there's a whole bunch of different ways to periodize. But by using this style of kind of periodization within that cycle, we actually Mm -hmm. see healthier tissues because we're... Mm -hmm allowing the body to do what it does and use the hormones and that that physiology to our benefit and to the benefit of the health of the client that we're working with. Am I correct? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, you're correct. Awesome.
0: I'm glad I took really good notes.
1: Yeah, you did. Yeah, it's great.
0: So I want to now talk a little bit about the because uh, we were mentioning or talking about uh, the seasonal changes that we see as well and so that it's not just within you know that cycle that we see this kind of repeated cycle that's always the same we also see changes seasonally as well can you just explain some of the seasonal changes that we that the, uh, a woman would go through and how that would affect something like our training that we're doing with them
1: i think seasonally It all depends on the woman, right? So by individuality, everyone is different, especially seasonally around spring where there's a lot of, um, if you have high allergies, your inflammatory cytokines are going to be higher. So that's where during your, you know, late lethal phase, things may bother you more because not just, it's not just internally, but the environment outside is promoting more inflammatory cytokines. So it could be higher It may be higher for that woman during the spring. Um, Summer and heat brings along something different, right? So maybe um, being, you know, like heat promotes a lot more acidosis during certain times, right? It's harder to work out in the heat. So the ability to tolerate acidosis may be a little bit more compromised for women especially during the luteal phase and if you're doing those you know high intensity type workouts where there's a lot of acidosis that might be tougher for women and might be more difficult and so you know there comes maybe winter is a better time because you know but then there's also winter where you know it's just environment environment is so different Um, if you're coming down with a cold And then you're going to have your period, you know, because the winter promotes a lot of, um, of kind of flu-like symptoms, um, you're, it, it still could promote more inflammatory cytokines. So I think it's the cytokines that you want to look at, uh, that happens within the season. And then also, if you look at, um, the way a woman uses, um, substrate, uh, during that time, it may be a little bit different because. We are animals, so in the winter, women naturally, you know, put on some, you know, some weight because we're, we're naturally animals, and so mm-hmm. the way your body is using certain substrates is going to be different during the phases of the cycle, based on the season. Um, so, you know, insulin sensitivity might be a little bit different during that time. So, there's different things to look at uh, during during that type of the season. A lot of studies are based on one menstrual cycle or two menstrual cycles. There are rarely any that go across. Um, And then, you know, you look at when it's done during certain times, like, you know, this was done in May, or this was done in, you know, and then they have these findings. So I think, like I said, science has to improve a little bit based on that. Um, And based on maybe doing a more of a long-term study, what is going on within the seasons? Yeah. Um, I think that's where, you know, there's there's room for improvement in that sense. Um,
0: yeah, and I, and I like the fact, so you were talking about allergies and their effect on inflammatory cytokines and some people have fall allergies, some people have spring allergies, more in the spring than the fall generally, but um, mm-hmm. you can have both of those. And then you can also look at, yeah, as you mentioned, heat and acidosis. Uh, and then in the winter, right, cold sickness is a, is much more common. We're cooped up inside. If you're looking at uh, if you have kids or you're a teacher, you're in school. So you're around a lot more people, you're exposed to a lot more. So my wife's a teacher. So every fall, I typically have symptoms. She doesn't have anything. I typically have it because she's been <laughs> teaching for 10 years. So I. Wait till get... you
1: have...
0: <laughs> Pardon? Pardon? Yeah,
1: wait till you have kids. Because oh you look at. Have they have but it's, you'll have the strongest immune system by the time they're like out of the house
0: yeah by the time they leave i'll have a good immune system and then they'll exactly. come back anyways uh yeah so the, actually the first year that we were dating i had um yeah like i had some terrible like throat issues i had to get i was on amoxicillin penicillin like almost in like two weeks i was i was pain-free for about a week and then it came back again because my first bout was only five days and then it was all gone and then it came back because it wasn't like it pain was gone but it wasn't gone yet and then it came back with a vengeance but it felt like just swallowing razor blades like tonsillitis was just terrible But um, yeah. And the other thing in the winter too, is you can also bring in the, the mental, like the psychology side of it, right? Like mental health in the, in the winter. And if you're not taking vitamin D and you know, uh, that can be a big, a big driver too. To people being cooped up i always like to say whenever if i ever put on weight in the winter it's always well this is bulking season that's what we call it right to try to yeah. make it okay for us putting yeah. on a little well, this is this is just feeding my muscle that's why i'm doing this right and then you know yeah. when it comes springtime i'll start losing weight and then by the time summer's here i'll have my summer body back summer body yeah. didn't come back this year though um oh.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, but you know, when it comes to, um, I want to say, seasonal and and light, um, there's a lot to do with depression mm-hmm. and and women and motivation during that premenstrual, that late luteal phase. Mm-hmm. So there's a high incidence of depression if you think about them. Um, there, a lot of women say they're blue because around that time, and that's got a lot to do with you know what's going on with inflammatory cytokines. So there's a high correlation between um, lower levels of estrogen and and what your brain does and how it handles stress. And actually um, cognitive function is less during that time. So, you know, we didn't go into this, but cognitive function is less during that time. So if you're doing SAQ drills, you know, for an athlete during that time, there's that coordination isn't being able to handle better. Whereas if you do it in the, you know, the um, late follicular and early luteal phase, your brain is able to handle it better. You're a lot quicker. You know, your nervous system is a lot better functioning mm-hmm. during that time. So, um, when you talk about seasons and light um, during that luteal phase, you're gonna find a lot more um, kind of depressive, you know, um, symptoms during that time.
0: Yeah. The entire system is, is depressed, not necessarily just the mental side of things, but the entire system is depressed. And that actually brings up an interesting, like, like concept then in that, when we're looking at kind of late follicular ovulation, early luteal phase, those are the best times then for teaching new skills or, or adding in more complex skills into Mm -hmm. the client's training program. And then you know, so even like when we're looking at bringing down the intensity during the late luteal and early follicular phase, we're also looking at doing things that are less complex in those times as well, right? Working on some more simple patterns.
1: So more sagittal and, you know, um, and I want to say that, um, during you know, during the highly anabolic phase, which is the middle two phases, it's a great way time to do a lot more plyometric type stuff, right? Yeah. So because you're able, your muscles are able to handle it a little bit better. Um, those SAQ drills are a lot better. Whereas then, if you still need to do sp- speed drills, um, you might want to stick to be a little more linear during that time, yeah. um, instead of doing a lot more zigzag patterns or you know, um, more complex patterns.
0: Yeah. I know I used to work a lot with uh, teams and so we had a lot of soccer teams and hockey teams and we had many, many of them were female. And mm-hmm. that I always found was very interesting where you could have a few athletes who were, you know, mid the top of the, of the entire team athletically. And you would have times where you're like, what is going on with you? Right. Like you mm-hmm. like you we've done this a thousand times with regards to like if we're doing ladder drills or, or something like that or, or cutting and it's just like what oh, yeah. what has just happened with regards to your skill and yeah mm-hmm. so it all the things i didn't know early on yeah. in my career because this was probably like eight years ago while i was doing this mm-hmm. um and now understanding how that happens how would you if you had a team so let's just go down this rabbit hole for a second so if you had a team of of females who don't all have the same menstrual Mm -hmm. cycle oh yeah (laughs) how do you manage that in in teaching do you just kind of bring everything down and and do simplicity do you I I don't know how you would handle that
1: I think for a team because You still have your preseason, in season, and then and then so you've got your macrocycles and Mm microcycles. You don't want to have like you know if you get a team of twenty, you don't want to have twenty microcycles, or maybe you do. You know, I hate to say it. There's a there's a I think there's a way you could profile each athlete um, somewhere they are. So it it would take a lot more work. But profiling each athlete where they are. And if you're working with a young team, it's a little bit more um, um, tricky because you have to bring the parents into it um, because you don't want a male coach saying, hey, what's your, you know, what's your yeah. menstrual cycle? I think as a parent, you know, I have boys, but as a parent, I think I would have a lot of red flags. For yeah. me, female to female, it's completely comfortable male to female, I think that's a sticky situation. I think that's where you bring, if you're gonna individually profile an athlete, that's where you speak to the parent. Hey, I'm learning about this. This is to the long-term benefit of your you know, female athlete because this is what I'm learning and what you wanna prevent is amenorrhea anyway, at that age, which can happen a lot. Yeah. Um, I think it's for a team, it takes a lot more work, um, but I think individual profiles, you know, professional athletes get individual profiles, right? They look at their, you know, sometimes some athletes are looked at their HRV to see if they're ready to play. And then they're like, okay, let's, let's let them go, which HRV is a different story, but, or they'll look at, you know, how well they slept and they, you know, they'll figure out if they're, they're okay to play. I think if you're individually profiling um, a professional athlete, what's not to say you can do kind of a, a lesser degree of a high school, a younger athlete. I think that would be fine. And I think you know as a lot of coaches care about the health and, you know, care about winning, but they care about that player. Yeah. I think it a good thing to do kind of for a female athlete, a individual kind of profile to see how they're doing um, and bring your parents yeah. as to why, why you're doing that. I think if you, you kind of educate the parents, I think it'll help them to be more on board um, and go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, yeah, like adding, like having the parents on board with what you're going to do and not directly talking with the athlete, like specifically as a male, not talking directly with the athlete and just asking them, Hey, when's your, like, that's, that can, you know, especially with young athletes that, yeah, that can blow up in your face really, really quickly. Uh, And I think, I think the difficult thing when you look at a lot of training facilities is most of them understanding that it is a business, the extra time and effort it takes into profiling every athlete. And then, you know, maybe you group them approximately, you know, so maybe you have three different groups and you just kind of approximate where they're starting. So you might have some overlap in phases, but generally speaking, they're all about the same spot. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's a difficult thing to do. Cause now instead of one program you're programming for that's three different programs you're programming And I think for a lot of facilities, and this is not defending them at all, it would be a hard sell to get them Mm -hmm. to do that because they'd be like, well, if it's going to take more time and more effort, then we got to charge more. And then you have Mm -hmm. these battles back and forth. But being able, I think, to express the importance of profiling specifically those female athletes and where they are on their menstrual cycle will in the long run benefit their their athletes rather than, um, you know, when, when we're looking at the investment it's taking, right. I think mm-hmm. that, that you can, you can make that argument. So if you know, understand what's going on and why you're doing it, you can defend what the outcome is going to be a bit better. I think.
1: I, I agree. And I think maybe, you know, cause there's a practicalness to certain things. That's just like you were talking about. You don't want to have four different types of workouts for, and then for like you 20 girls and it's different. And I think maybe having, you know, Maybe having two, you know, where you got you know the two middle weeks, and then within those time frames, you just have those hard workouts, and then you have the bookends where it's kind of unto one because it's still they're both stress physiology, and then there's an anabolic. So I think pra- for practicality's sake, if you've got a team of of young girls or women, I think that's a kind of a good way to do it is to do two different two different intensities during that time for the girls. Now, you know, I've worked with enough young girls and and it's, they're, they're really funny. And sometimes it's just merely, oh, I don't want everyone, you know, you know, it is, and it's, the yep. way. you know, and it's, it's, it's funny and you don't want them to make excuses, but you want to be in tune to them. So, yep. um, there's that balance of working with young, young girls and figuring out, if, are they just being lazy? Or are they actually, so if you actually map it out, then you can actually have some concrete evidence. Like, well, you know, you're really going in that highly anabolic group just because your girlfriend is in that book, you know, and you just want to chit chat during that, yeah. you know, you kind of have that. Um, but they're, you know, they're always fun to work with. It's, it's kind of a interesting time to work with them. Oh. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and then the other thing i wanted to say was um you know it's women well who knows now with covid everywhere mess women tend to cycle together yeah. you know there's pheromones so you've heard of that right yeah. so it's it's transmitted through the nose and that happens all the time like some a woman is early because she's with another woman cuz the pheromones transmit and those hormones just seem to kind of sync together yeah um so there is that with a team of women doesn't, you know, and then you've got the whole oral contraception, yeah. which is a whole topic. Um, but if you know the natural menstrual cycle, then you can actually program, you know, or yeah. those two, two times. though.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, as you said uh, before, having context to what you're seeing, right, when you are working with young athletes. So even as far back as in university, I was working with the women's soccer team as uh, kind of their on-field medical uh, athletic trainer, so to speak. And just seeing the difference in how they act, react to training, recovery, all of it, the difference in the social aspect of a team sport because it was all soccer versus mm-hmm. the males who I would still cover and work with as well it was just it was very very different in kind of how they all respond and and I think getting context to what's going on why they're reacting the way they are why some days it feels like they have motivation other days it doesn't uh, able mm-hmm. to push not able to push able to learn not able to learn as well and, and understanding that this is a normal thing, it has nothing to do with them and their mentality towards training. It's just, this is the physiology of what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. So I like that. Yeah. So I want to just dive into, because I know we, we talked a little bit about substrate utilization within mm-hmm. kind of the different times throughout. So we were talking a little bit about insulin sensitivity and those types of things. When it comes to nutritional considerations, so kind of diving into the recovery side of things with nutrition and, 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 and sleep and all those types of things, what can you tell us about the nutritional considerations within the different kind of times within the menstrual cycle and what maybe a, a female athlete or female client should focus more on in the different areas in order to optimize their performance?
1: Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about glycogen and I think I'm going to talk about uh, muscle protein synthesis and regeneration. Those are the top two things I'm going to talk about um, and how they change during the menstrual cycle. So I'm going to lump some into the, the follicular phase, the late follicular phase into the early luteal phase. It's very, um, you've got a lot of good insulin sensitivity. Um, so there's a lot of good glucose, glucose uptake by the system is churning it, you know, whatever you eat, it's using it up. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're trying to promote glycogen um, in muscle or in the liver, it's a little bit tougher because your body's more efficient, right? So if you know you have an athlete and, you know, of course there's studies that say, okay, there isn't a lot of, you know, glycogen usage, but I think a woman knows what it feels like, I'm like, I can eat anything I want during this time of the, and it doesn't affect the way I feel or look. And there's a reason for it. So if you're looking at an athlete and you know they've got like a hard soccer game, they need a lot of glycogen in their muscle and in their, um, in their liver. I think promoting a lot more carbohydrates, you know, during that time to kind of fuel the muscle and fuel their energy source is going to be key during those, that time of the menstrual cycle. Um, there's a lot of, if you're eating a lot of carbs during the luteal phase, there's a lot more glycogen um, formation during that time. Cause you're, a, there's less insulin sensitivity. So it's going more into fat cells and storage. And so, you know, you maybe less, you don't have to be as intense about promoting glycogen, um, you know, uh, synthesis during that time. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something to take in Mm -hmm. consideration during those phases. So I hope that answers your question for that. Now, now, as far as protein, because protein promotes muscle uh, synthesis, right. And a lot of recovery, um, I think, because there's less protein during the late luteal phase and then the early follicular phase. And there's a lot more degradation than maybe a lot more, and there's less, there's less estrogen for muscle recovery. Maybe that's when you actually do a lot more protein induced type, you know, foods, whether it's shakes or, you know, good pieces of chicken or, you know, um, in order to promote more of that protein synthesis and more recovery type, type things, yeah. um, and even when it comes to, I'm a big non-believer of not using you know um, NSAIDs, you know like the um, like Advil or anything yeah. like that, for for different reasons, yeah. um, and what it does to muscle and and and. Um, So maybe to promote less anti-inflammatory cytokines, maybe you do a lot more turmeric, a lot more ginger. There's a lot of homeopathic things you can do Mm -hmm. to promote more regeneration and less inflammatory cytokines during that time of the month for your athlete or for your client, you know, a general population. I'm going to say athlete because, you know, everyone is, you know, they want that performance for the athlete and a lot of, you know, kids play sports, you know, and there's only a small population in their 20s that are still, you know, early twenties that are still playing sports or, you know, if you're a professional athlete, but I think for the general population, if you're going to, there's a, there's a larger audience for that. I think if you're going to have a good hard workout and you want to promote more protein muscle protein synthesis during that time knowing what's happened in degradation eat more protein in the late luteal phase and you know early follicular phase have a little more turmeric have, have a little more ginger some of the you know the natural stuff that promotes a lot more um, recovery um, as opposed to going to like Advil. and I don't want to you know but that's my there's research out there and yeah. that's for a different topic i think
0: we're we're on the exact same page with that so don't even oh man yeah. <laughs> the amount of times i have to tell people like like don't don't do it there's other ways to deal with pain yeah. inflammation other than taking insides or yeah. um yeah. you know even even things like icing for something like that right mm-hmm. like there's a lot of research surrounding that as well Mm-hmm, and um, mm-hmm. like I have conversations I have um, discussions with a lot of the students who come into the program that I teach in and I teach an injury you know I call it, it's called injury prevention even though you can't prevent injuries it's injury mitigation but you're minimizing risk yeah. but we're talking about injury and mobility are the two kind of concepts within that and I talk a mm-hmm. lot about in that like in that kind of injury process where you have the inflammation, you've got the repair and regeneration, uh, or remodeling phase, those three phases, you don't want to minimize inflammation. Inflammation is good for you. You mm-hmm, want yeah. to monitor it and make sure that it isn't so much that it's actually now causing blockage of, you know, lymphatic vessels and fluid mm-hmm. movement and blood flow and all those. So, you want to, you want to manage it, not minimize it. And mm-hmm. I think that understanding is, is what a lot of people miss. They think, Oh, I rolled my ankle instantly. You put ice on it, right? Oh, That's yeah. what mm-hmm. you've learned, or you compress it or you elevate it or you do whatever. It's like, just remove yourself from whatever activity caused it. Uh, if yeah. an activity causes pain, don't do it. Um, yeah. right. Allow that tissue to heal itself. Mm-hmm. But I think we, we, we both know, and, and a lot of the other uh, educators within the industry, we all talk about, well, in order for fibroblasts to lay down new collagen fiber, it has to be in the direction of a force, or it just lays it down, and that's what you know, uh, your, your scar tissue is, right? It's just irregular yeah. f- tissue and collagen fibers that are just irregularly patterned, and you have to put force in to remodel it. So what if yeah. we could actually skip that remodeling phase and actually integrate that into the repair phase as well using the right type of force at the right time and the right angle and um, mm-hmm. so anyways that's a com- that's a conversation for another day that's a whole nother yeah. you know three hour podcast but um I want to just get into one final thing, because I know we're kind of coming up uh, um, a little bit to our our time limit here. So do you have any other insights when it comes to recovery, specifically for women in different kind of parts of the... Their menstrual cycle, uh, because I know we talked about uh, food, we talked about adding more protein, kind of in that late luteal early follicular phase for recovery, um, and minimizing or lowering the amount of like intensity and damage to tissue that we're putting in those two phases as well. Is there anything else with regards to recovery that would assist in uh, managing within specifically those two phases where they have a decreased ability to lay down new collagen fiber. Would there be anything that you could do?
1: I think I love water as a mediation for recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, water is a great promoter of um, just less load on the body. Um, it's, it's a great promoter for um, circulation, you, know, you know, circulating your lymph nodes, uh, because of the hydrostatic pressure. So I love water for uh, promotion of recovery. Um, it could be a soak in an Epsom salt bath, you know, during the, um, like a nightly soak, mm-hmm. um, on that, and it's just, and it, all, it always depends on how deep you submerge your body in water. Right. So, yeah. you know, a tub is great for a soak. If you want to do a hot, cold type of plunge to, uh, promote a lot of heat shock proteins to promote that. I think that's wonderful. Water is an excellent um, promoter of recovery Mm -hmm. um, for anybody really. Uh, But particularly for women, if you're trying to move around tissues and you're trying to make, you know, you've got low, lower levels of estrogen and you, you just did a hard workout. Let's get some fluid, you know, dynamics going into that to kind of move things along and to progressively um, recover your body. I think water is awesome for that. Yeah. And I know you're in Canada, sometimes it's hard, but you know, you can get, you can get a hot tub, you can get a hot cold plunge. And there are a lot of people who get like those Yeti tubs and they still go yeah. back and forth between those two. Yeah. So I think that's great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just posted something on my Instagram, a uh, like my business one a few weeks ago, maybe a week ago. And it was all demonstrating like when I'm like up at, uh, so my um, in-laws have a, have a cottage and mm-hmm. I love early spring and late fall because mm-hmm. the water temperature is far colder than it is the rest of the year. And I love cold plunges. Like for me uh, going in and, and getting into like a, a 57, 58 degree tub is, is perfect right now you're not going to stay in there forever because you start to go tingly no. and then you get cold yeah. and it never comes back but i, I there, love yeah. doing it yeah. yeah so i wake <laughs> up in the morning and i don't know if you've ever heard of like a Scandinavian spa or like a scandinavian oh, type yeah. spa mm-hmm. and like you, you go into a okay. heat 10 12 minutes or so and then you go right into the cold and you just relax in the cold breathing yeah. and then all of a sudden you hop out you put on some clothes uh you know oftentimes you're in a like a a robe or something like that. And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. it's like, you feel warm, even though you're just in freezing cold. exactly. I love that for just pumping like a sponge, squeezing out uh, and dealing with inflammation that um, builds up. So I, whenever I'm up at the cottage, I typically do that every single morning. Um, Just Mm -hmm. once, just once in the hot tub, once into the cold. And then I just relax I read in the morning, um, yeah. and I drink lemon ginger water. So you, drink oh, yeah, lemon, yeah, lemon ginger water, and it, oh, you know what yeah, I love okay. doing?
1: This? I love doing like getting a, a, a teapot, and then yeah. I just put a bunch of ginger, and I just let it steep in there, and yeah. then you just drink it all night. It's like one of the best things ever. Yeah along that. But you know, back to the hot cold plunge, I think that's a great promoter, you know, you do 1 minute. There's certain ratios and, you know, if you're more in hot, it promotes more blood flow. If you're more in cold, it's it's just a different ratio. But I think that's a great promoter of recovery for women cuz water is amazing. Um yeah. amazing for for everything during the luteal l- 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 phase, I want to say.
0: So, Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, so my wife and I so my house, if I was to show you, the am on the couch is my house is, is crazy right now because we just bought our first house. Oh, and congratulations. So gonna, thank you. So we're going to be moving in at the end of October, early November, and I'm building a studio in the basement. So it's got a walkout oh. basement, so it's perfect. Oh, and that's nice. so I'm creating a nice studio in my office there for some filming and clients and I just, I'm dying to put in like a, just a hot, cold bath in there somewhere. Yeah. I'm just worried about my water bill if I do that. Cause I'll be in there all the time and I don't know how much work yeah. I'll get done. I'll just go back and forth between the two all day. Um, yeah. But, but anyways. I know,
1: okay. no, but it's great. I, but you know, those Yeti tubs people yeah. is like, I've seen, I've seen people use those. I, Yeti is pretty expensive, but I mean, those, you just get a good regular cooler and put your, you know, get your ice bath going in there. <laughs> like, yeah. They're huge.
0: well those massive coolers i've i've looked at those because i love yeti we've got a couple yeti mugs um Mm -hmm. and so i love yeti but i look at even like like, okay we need we need an actual like hard um, cooler for even bringing transporting food from here up to the cottage which is about two hours away hour and 40 minutes Mm -hmm. or so and i'm like one of those even a moderate sized yeti is so expensive like you can get like a a $1,500 cooler. I'm like, what the heck are you carrying around that you need a $1,500 cooler for? Buy a f- new fridge or something, right? Like just plug, it. anyways. I mean, you might
1: uh, as well get install your own tub there, you know what yeah. I mean? At that place, nice, and you can just actually just install a tub.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I worked at a clinic, um, Waterloo Sports Medicine Clinic. Um, when I was in university, I did a, an internship there and they had just the steel tubs with the, the bath. Um, and so they had hot and cold right beside each other with a seat in between so if somebody wanted to do ankle and just kind of flush out the lower leg they could swing basically one side to the other and I think that would be something that I would actually do is doing something like that instead but um, yeah I'd have to get like some ice like an ice maker or something like that because I can't fit enough ice trays in my freezer in order to make enough ice for an ice bath
1: definitely an ice maker for that so yeah.
0: Um, all right, so I wanna do a quick little lightning round before we finish off and uh, just three quick questions. And the first two are just top threes. And then the last one is um, just looking at, I guess, lessons learned and just picking one or two um, lessons learned. So let's just start with number one is the top three books that you have read on any topic.
1: Okay, so top three, I, I had to laugh when, when I saw that question. But I think top three, and one is, God, I love this book. It's called The Gene. Um, And uh, his name is from, he's an Indian author. And actually, I'm going to, Siddhartha Mukherjee. It's, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it. But it's about, it's it's about how you start, you know, you start with genetic makeup. And what you expose to that genetic makeup kind of is the way your body responds to, To anything you're doing, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, exposed, it's he. You know, talk about cancer. He talks about mental health. He talks about just um, what you expose your body to, kind of dictates the way your your genes respond. And I remember writing a paper on um, you know gene expression and methylation and things. So he doesn't go very scientifically, but he actually talks about um, you know, the old scientists like Doppler and, you know, and Mendelssohn, how they, it's, it's a very interesting high level narrative book. Yeah. That's not really sciencey, but it's still kind of like stuff you're interested in. And so yeah. that is like my, one of my top ones.
0: So, um, sorry, before we go one, on, um, I actually, <laughs> spoiler, I read that article and like just before we hopped on, cause I was, I was just, I, I do a whole bunch of research. So I just, I had linked our, I um uh, bookmarked that article that you wrote It was on like 24 oh, yeah. hour life i believe and So I read, I, re- I read that article um yeah and i thought it was re- i thought it was really good so um yeah love that article so if that's the book yeah. that kind of um Kinda precipitated started, like that. brought about that idea like that's yeah that was good so I'll, I'll add that like i've read some other stuff on um like genes and you know uh environment versus so nature versus nurture kind of things like the talent code and um mm-hmm can't remember the actual, the name of the other one, um, the genius in all of us. I think the other one, one of them was. And so I've read a couple of different books about that, uh, but the mm-hmm. gene I haven't read yet. So I'll have to put that on my book list.
1: Yeah, it's good. Well, I, I listened to it because it's such a thick book and I can't sit down right now. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's a great one to put on your like, uh, you know, one of your Apple books or um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, the, there's another book app that I use. I'm blanking out Audible again. Anyway. Or
0: something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's audible. Um, And then the other one is I love (laughs) the book on my life in Paris. Um, So I'm a big cook and it's a story about Julia Child. Mm. And what I loved about it is because she makes all these mistakes in her cooking life, uses too much butter, but she didn't start her career until she was in her (laughs) fifties. So it's very interesting to see how much she's done and progressed in the cooking world, which I'm very interested in cooking and nutrition. Yeah. Um, and, and how she's, you know, been able to, to help, you know, um, that industry. Um, yeah. so that's a very, it's a very interesting book for me. It's just a whole, the process and the journey. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and then, you know, I, I had to I have a hard time picking. you know, everyone's read maybe, uh, Simon, Simon, Simon Sinek's, you know, find your wife. So that's a yeah. great, That's a great book. I love that. But I think what I really like is, um, um, gosh, I'm blanking out. It's, um, Oh, the originals. Mm. Um, and it's about non-traditional thinking and it's about kind of how you can have non-traditional thinking and get it infused into a conversation. Yeah. And then, so, you know, not to be strong with your kind of weird thoughts and have it into a conversation when then there's consideration and there's consideration and then like, wow, this is a great idea. You know, Uh instead of being really pushy about certain ideas and being really um, assertive and dogmatic about it, it's about, hey, let's consider this and it's considered. And then this is how some great ideas came about, you know, because it's non-traditional thinkers that actually uh, push the envelope and it's a non-traditional Thinkers that are not so dogmatic about it and not so pushy about it that actually get their ideas across. So I really like that because it's a I think we all have thoughts in our mind that are non-traditional. And I think how to move that forward without being so pushy about it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know, because if you're pushing, no one wants to listen, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so
0: yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: So that's a that's a really good book, I think.
0: Awesome. Um well i'm gonna I'm gonna buy that my life in Paris book for my wife um, oh, to just she like give to- her well give her hope oh. <laughs> I, I'm the cook I'm the cook in the family um <laughs> she she's actually not as bad as she thinks she is
1: okay
0: but whenever I'm home I like she just gives me control of the kitchen and I do it like she's she's her, her parents always taught her kids to clean. And my parents were always like, we still had to clean, but we were yeah. always much, much more willing to make a mess than to clean it up. And yeah. so, so it's a good, it's a good balance that we have, that but, um, yeah. yeah, so, but, uh, I think that that book and understanding that if Julia Childs can change and, and become something at 50, then you can do the same thing and you're yeah. young. So you can, yeah, uh, sky's exactly. the limit for you. All right. Um, top three mentors uh, through your journey in your in your career so far.
1: I think top three mentors, I think early on, was probably a college professor. And I wasn't even, I was an accounting major, so I was an accountant. Okay. And I was that, just an active kid all the time and always play sports. And then, you know, I never played college sports, but I have always been active my whole life. And I got into endurance sports and triathlons um, when I was in college because of a woman named Melissa Goffner. And she no longer teaches at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, but she's the person who got me started in actually the industry, taught me how to do triathlons, got me my first job teaching. I taught group fitness, you know, when you're in college, you're like, well, I'll do anything for work. Yeah. And I'm to be interested in that. She's like, Hey, come take this class. And she was, you know, a physical education professor there. Yeah. Um, I'll teach you how to do this. And you will, you know, you'll learn how to teach. I'll get you a job at Maloney school gym and you can teach, you know, classes. And so I think she was a great mentor and got me into the industry. And I think, um, that's what finally got me, you know, out of, um, being an accountant into a master's degree program. And so that's, she's, she was a great um, mentor then. And then I, you know, we talk about Michelle and I think we all know him in industry and he's very, what I appreciate about him is a very non-traditional thinker without being pushy, you know, about the way he he talks about things and he's got a bunch of great ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think for that, uh, he is just, he's been a great mentor. Um, for me um, we've both been in industry about the same amount of time but it's nice to be with somebody who has different ideas and then you kind of take that into consideration um, and then you have some you know we have some great um, geek out conversations which is a, which is a lot of fun we sometimes agree to disagree which is always fun too you know so yeah it's it's Um, And I think right now I am learning through communication, who's becoming a huge mentor for me. His name is Anthony Hackney, and he's a professor at University of North Carolina. And so he does a lot of research on gender endocrinology considerations. Um, He does a lot of endocrinology of sport. He's written a few books on that. So he's and he does a lot of research and he's very prolific and, and what he does. And he's been around for a long time. So just through correspondence and asking questions, he's actually um, agreed to be on my outside dissertation committee.
0: Nice. So I
1: think he, I, I think it's, it's going to be a great, um, great thing with him because he's so well-versed and he's going to, you know, a methodology when I'm, when I'm looking at methodology, he's the guy I'm going to go to because he's done so many research studies on women and then also on men, and then also on the aging population. So yeah. I'm gonna consider him right now because it's I'm working with him, just a great mentor. Awesome. Um, great, eye-opener. so anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah I love, um, I know when I was doing, we were trying to figure out who was gonna be on my, uh, so we call it a program advisory committee, right? Your PAC committee who sits in on your thesis presentation and asks you all the tough questions. Um, I was lucky enough to actually have an old professor of mine from my undergrad who I then ended up working for a few years later when I went and started teaching at Laurier where I did my, where I did my undergrad, I actually started teaching there, but it was so nice because I hadn't talked to him in probably two and a half, three years or so. Um, He was a big uh, biomechanist. So he was a biomechanics professor there. And um, I was lucky enough to have him come and join my, my pack. And uh, he's been He's just a brilliant mind when it comes to it uh, with regards to like how the body moves and understanding all the different, like the kinetic chain. And he's who really introduced me to all of that um, in my undergrad. So I was lucky enough to have him as well as kind of one of those mentors on, on my pack committee as well. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Uh, okay, so last question. What would Gigi of today say to 20 year old Gigi?
1: Gosh. That makes that question makes me feel old, <laughs> just kidding.
0: <laughs> I don't ever uh, assume how old anybody is, but I've had somebody good. who was about 26. So I was like, okay, it was originally up to 20. Like I was like, okay, what would so-and-so say to 25 year old you? But I had to change it to 20 because the person was only 26. So okay. I couldn't ask them what it would be to be 25. Cause it's like, well, that was last year. I would say nothing, just keep going. You're going to get, here. Right. anyways.
1: I think, you know, it's so funny because within this topic, it's really tough because you know I have always been active in my life, and my mindset's like I'm just gonna go, and you're gonna work hard. And you're like, even if I don't feel good, I'm gonna work hard, and I'm gonna do it anyway. Forget if I'm having to run in a pool because like I've injured my knee, or you know, <laughs> or mm-hmm. injured, you know because I'm overtraining. Yeah, I think it's important to look at it as a process. Um, looking at the whole, we look at fitness, and then we look at health. And I think it's important to look at the whole thing as a process and as a continuum. And it's hard to see that when you're 20, yeah. but I just turned 50 and I go, I feel pretty good. I could do what I do. And I think it's just listening to my body. So, yeah. you know, looking at the process and listen to your body and knowing it's okay. Um, to slow down sometimes. So when we talk about the cycles and we talk about like this is when I feel so good I'm gonna hit it hard and like oh I don't feel so great but I'm gonna do it anyway and then you get injured. Yeah. I think allowing yourself to slow down is okay. We yeah. don't give ourselves enough permission to slow down. Yeah. Because we compare ourselves to the other girl who's like lifting. You're like why am I? Why can't I do that right now? Like well, let's put it in context. Yeah. You can do that but maybe not right now. So I think just looking at the whole thing as a process is important to look at when you're in your twenties and you're still trying to figure out, you know, your body and and fitness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think in an industry where everything is measured by how much you can lift or the craziest thing that you can do and take Mm -hmm. a picture of and live to tell the story about in an industry where that is the norm, um, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, as you said, it's really important to put things in context and understand that more is not better, Mm -hmm. right? Like like we are always under this impression that if some is good, more is better. And in in 99.9% of things, that is not the truth, right? That's not Mm -hmm. the way it is. And I think when it comes to lifting in the gym, I know from my own background as a testosterone-fueled young male when I was in university and early in my career, it was always about that. Like, how sore can I make this person? How much sweat can I make them have? Can I get them to the point where they feel nauseous? Like that was almost like this thing that I go, yeah, that's what I, I, yeah. Like, am I doing a good job? That's how I tell. And I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do because they don't have any other way to measure success outside of those things. When we're looking at a specific training session right if somebody Mm -hmm. comes out of a training session they're not sore they didn't hit a pr they aren't super like sweating a lot that to us is like well i failed then i didn't i didn't give you a good workout Mm -hmm. right and so being able to take a step back and understand the difference in physiology and that that isn't always how you have to go there is recovery that needs to take place i think is Mm -hmm. a big thing that's lost on a lot of people and specifically a lot of new trainers who come into mm-hmm. the industry? That's just what we think, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, it's it's very nice and refreshing to hear that that you know that there is an understanding it, that it is a process. It's something that takes a long time to do, mm-hmm. to do well, uh, to become proficient in movement, and to lose mm-hmm. body fat and to develop a really really healthy sustainable lifestyle is, mm-hmm. is a process. So yeah. Um, yeah, I know what I would tell myself. It's to um, stop making really stupid mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's
1: part of being young, right?
0: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's starting, but uh, my wife keeps telling me it's starting to catch up to me. <laughs> so since we've been together, I've, I've dislocated a shoulder playing baseball because I dove for a ball, which I haven't, didn't really play baseball growing up. Dove for a ball, dislocated a shoulder, and I tore a bicep. So I tore my right bicep, had to have surgery on it. And oh I did that playing hockey, but the stupid decision wasn't playing hockey. It was the fact that I lifted that morning and I did upper body. And so my bicep tendon was already frayed and the muscle was already a little weak. And um, yeah, so those goldy tendon organs and the muscle spindles just yeah. weren't working properly. And yeah. man, oh like, man, just- yeah. Well, it's like something you've done all the time. Like I had done it so often like playing hockey and the same thing that I did. I just reached around a guy, he pinned my arm and then he twisted really quickly. My bicep mm-hmm. tried to protect my elbow and just snapped. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, there goes the, like, I knew exactly what happened as soon as it happened. Cause I knew the position of my arm. I knew what it felt like. And it wasn't painful. It was just like, yeah. that sucks. Yeah. Like it was more go. my heart that was hurt and my brain, because I'm like, Oh man, there we go again. I just, you know,
1: yeah. Just knew. Yeah, no, I know. Definitely. It's, you know, how many times have I, you know, run or or marathons and did triathlons when I was in college and I just kept, you know, like I could do like three or four races a month. No problem. It's just another, you know, here's a, here's a half marathon. Here's a 10 K. And then here, you know, you're running constantly, you're not recovering and you just think, well, no wonder my knee hurts and and you're not doing the right things. Right. And they're like, well, I'm going to keep running in the pool anyway. It's yeah. okay. I need to get my miles in, right? I'm going to run in a pool. Who cares? And you're like, yeah. wait a minute. yeah, <laughs> to just stop.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just stop, slow down, yeah. lower the intensity and volume, you know, all of the yep. things that we learned that we should do and just never yeah. really do. But
1: exactly.
0: I want to thank you because uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and learning from you because I think um, I always like to bring people on where I have no idea about what they're going to talk about because I actually don't know a lot about the, con- the topic that they're going to discuss. So I love it. I, I love the fact that I get to learn at the same time as all the listeners get to learn. So uh, can you just give us, uh, the, the listeners, just... Uh, where can they find you? What are you currently working on? Do you have any kind of uh, things that you would like to promote with regards to products? Uh, like I know you work with Michelle and, and the IOM. And so you can feel free to plug them again because we do it on, it seems like every podcast now because the last four have all been <laughs> IOM. Uh, okay. members, so. I am related. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well,
1: okay. So promotion, like we have our, um, um, health and human performance uh, curriculum, and it's a 12-week course, and so it marry, marries programming of health and human performance, so it's not just fitness programming, but how can you add these other elements to promote a healthier athlete or healthier individual, and I think mm-hmm. we just finishing up our first group of cohorts we start our second group and you can jump in late. We just closed registration, um, last Sunday, but if you jump in early enough, then you could still get, you know, if you miss part of it, we can catch up. So it's all online based. Um, it's a great way to get introduced to, uh, the way of thinking the four Q, um, moving in different planes of motion and, um, and then we add, another layer in the level two, we add more uh, recovery-based systems. We add a lot more science into it. So first mm-hmm. first level is always just very general. Yeah. So we don't lose our seconds, a little more in-depth science. And then we are even have level three. So we get more into programming for gender-specific, for female, for male. And then this is something that's just, whoa, it's, you know, there's not, not a lot out there, but there's going to be yeah. transgender. Very underrepresented. So you know, because of their hormonal profile, that's important to look at. Yeah. Um, so that is, you know, I, that's something I'd love to promote. And I think it'll help the industry kind of look at it, not just fitness, it actually look at health. And then let's look at a person's goals as a continuum in their lifespan, so that they Absolutely. can do it and they can be healthier when they're eighty. Yeah. So that's what I like to promote. Um, what I'm working on, a few things, I'm working on an article to get published. I got a review article that, so hopefully that'll get published on, um, and I'm finishing that up. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, finishing up my dissertation on training considerations for women and, and getting that in place. And I have great, I got Anthony Hackney and then um, a woman named Sherry Walter. She's actually, um, a she's worked with a women's hockey team, the okay. national talk team so she she's um she's gonna be a great reader for my dissertation yeah. um, with a lot of experience um, she's a professor at Texas A&;M and she was actually in my master's degree program also um, so I'm finishing that up and then um, I'm working on a health plan right now for menopausal women so nice. we talk about and we talk about what happens after you don't have your hormonal profile anymore and if there's a lot that happens so getting a health plan forward for women so that they're not having to take exogenous hormones is really important yeah. um, because exogenous hormones can cause you know, cancers and other diseases so that's yeah. um, and then um, really busy um, finishing up a book uh, I don't want to call it a cookbook uh, <laughs> because so much more you know there's so many cookbooks out there yeah. we have a friend who kind of promotes cookbooks, says, do you know how many cookbooks are, are sold every day or written every day? There's like, you know, 300 a day. I'm like, wow. You know, but it's not a, it's not a cookbook. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's actually, it, it's, it's dialed in more into sustainable um, lifestyle, you yeah. know, you know, as a diet. And then um, the one I just started writing on is on the differences of men and women. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of sound bites about keto diets and, you know, a lot of diets that are really great for certain things, but they may not necessarily be good for women. They might be great for men during certain times of the, you know, during periods of their life, um, not during certain times. And based on hormones actually um, is how your body is going to work for or against you. I think yeah. that's so that's, it's interesting to see the differences between the two. Um, and so I think that's, I think that's kind of a nice way oh. to shed light on it without being so, um, I guess, scientific. Yeah. I think it's going to to help more the general population. I can help athletes, but I think there's a small percentage of people who are athletes. And after you know, athletes are done with their career, they become you know part of the general population. So I think it'll be nice to help just kind of a broader audience on on certain topics. So,
0: yeah, think, awesome. So. And where can people follow you on social media?
1: Um, let's see. On social media, I've got my, it's a personal handle and I use it both professional and personally. And my social media is Jeepers. So it's J-I underscore P-E-R-S. And then the reason it's that because it was a college nickname. My name is Gigi g <laughs> Jeepers Creepers, that kind of stuff,
0: right? <laughs> um, and then,
1: you know, if you follow the Institute of Motion, yeah, uh, it's institute underscore, you know, of underscore emotion um, a lot. There, there'll be a few things that I'll be doing that they'll highlight um, because, you know, I'll help them with their curriculum and and do a lot of uh, scientific research for them. So I think that's a great place to actually find, um, you know, some of the work that I'm doing. You know, I don't I never put myself up for a website just because I you know, you my clients are based on word of mouth. Yeah, And that's kind of, how I like to keep it because yeah. I don't want a large base of clients. I like to, you know, I've got so much going on. I like to serve the small group of individuals that I have like properly without, yeah. you know, overstretching myself. So yeah. anyway,
0: that's good. Um, and we'll definitely have to have you back on to talk about all of that because I think we mentioned at the very beginning about the the postmenopausal women and the things that change and all that. So when you're um, either about to or just releasing that, um, just send me an email. And we'll have to have you back on to chat all about that and promote some of that because I think, okay. as, as you said, there's a lot of things that change. And there's a big difference between um, taking hormones uh, and and building up your own, and there is a way to do that. And so I think mm-hmm. educating people on that will be um, hugely useful. So um, it'd be great to have you back on for that. But um, once again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking the time. Um, it's oh, My day's almost done. Your day is kind of getting towards midday now. So enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll chat you. soon. State of the Industry Podcast. I'll be back.